What might a change of Prime Minister mean for agriculture? A hard Brexit or a no-deal Brexit is more likely now, and the NFU has always maintained that a no-deal Brexit would be, at best, very risky for agriculture. Guy Smith will tell us his thoughts in a moment, and then later we meet the farmer who probably knows more about garlic than anyone else. And I've been searching for the mother of all garlic, the original garlic. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It's been a week now since the European elections. And of course, this coming Friday, Theresa May will officially step down as leader of the Conservative Party. Indeed, today's Sunday newspapers are again full of the latest rumbles among the many runners to replace her. On Wednesday, I visited the Suffolk show with the show season well underway. Of course, it's the uh, Rutland County show today. Uh, While at the Suffolk, I caught up with Guy Smith, Deputy President of the National Farmers Union. You might remember we last spoke with Guy just before Christmas and he said his hopes for 2019 was clarity on Brexit. So, uh, tongue in cheek... I asked him whether he got it. Yeah, we're sort of like frozen in aspic on this, aren't we? Um, I, yeah, look, I think it's becoming clear that um, we just uh, this political impasse doesn't go away. But the events of the uh, European elections last week does worry us that we think a hard Brexit or a no-deal Brexit is more likely now. And the NFU has always maintained that a no-deal Brexit would be, at best very risky for agriculture, at worst catastrophic. So I guess ideally you'll be wanting to meet with whoever the next Prime Minister will be, or or, or the candidates as they're standing, to to put your views across? A lot of chat about Mr Gove at the moment Mm. Uh, the prospect of us losing him uh, and you know irrespective of what you think of Michael Gove he is a big hitter, he brought that gravitas to DEFRA um, and I think that helped us but obviously he's got a very green agenda which we're not always sure suits productive agriculture but having him in number 10 um, he has a very good sort of relationship with Minette, um, uh, our president uh, so, so that will help but of course you know the NFU is not in the business of second guessing who the next Prime Minister is who the next leader of the Tory party is um, and there's a lot of water to go under that bridge Shows like this, I guess, are vital this year more than ever to engage with the public, to get farming message across, yeah? Yeah, Sean, but as always. But, you know, whenever I meet young farmers, I always impress upon them the importance of these shows. Uh, So in Lincolnshire, you have a really good one, and here, and in Norfolk, and whatever. And and one of the great things about being an officer of the NFU, you get invited round. So last week, uh, I was in Shropshire, um, and next week, I'm in Cornwall, and then south south of England. But the thing about these shows for our industry is that they're a great showcase. Uh, They're a platform. They attract a lot of the non-farming public in. But there's another key thing here, I think, and that is as mental health issues become more important, and and are taken more importantly in our industry, never underestimate the importance of a day where farmers come together and celebrate the industry. I think that is so therapeutically important, but I sometimes worry that it's such a given because we've always had these shows, we've been coming here since we were children, um, and we, we, we sort of almost take them for granted. We must really remember and we must really impress upon the younger generation that they, we were given, that we were handed these shows down from our forefathers, we'll hand them on, but they involve a bit of work and effort. Is it an industry that can be celebrated at the moment? Is it celebrating? Yeah, of course. Look, you know, just enjoy the feel, the vibe today. And I know uh, up in Lincoln you'll have a great day uh, in a few weeks' time. It's a great, you know, 
the, the great thing is that the, 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 the public are curious about us. They're curious about the fact we keep animals, that we look after the countryside, and food, of course. That's a universal thing everyone eats. Well, we need to remind them that that comes from agriculture. And so if people are naturally curious about us and want to learn more, we must meet them halfway uh, by explaining what we do in an articulate and cohesive manner. Where are we at the moment with the, uh, the gun licence? revocation uh, yeah. Michael Gove was seeking evidence I know the NFU gave evidence we're waiting to hear back from him still did you know it's a great reminder to me that day when I saw it coming over the airways at the NFU that they were going to take away the licence to shoot pigeons and crows I think it's those granular issues which is why we need an NFU because we were right on it you know straight to government saying look this isn't about sport this isn't about people enjoying themselves it's about farmers protecting crops and livestock it's about their livelihoods and you're taking away you know there's nothing more irritating quite rightly for a farmer to say to him before you shoot a pigeon you've got to fill a form in that's ridiculous and we've hit home hard on this that they needed to reissue those general licences which they have and we thank them for that they're not quite the same but we think they're more or less usable uh, so I know members are reassured that they can continue to go and control pigeons and, uh, and crows without having to fill a form in they can do it under the old general licence system it's going to be reviewed later on but we remind the uh, government that this is not about blood sports this is not about having fun in the countryside this is about farmers protecting their livelihoods as they go about producing food finally we are about to get a new prime minister as we go back to brexit again what are your hopes as we go into the summer months well look the nfu deals we've ever put in front of them uh, and that's always been the case uh, whether what our own views are or not we have the most constructive dialogue with, with government we will have a new look government in a in a couple of months time we will have to re-establish good relations with them at a really important time when agricultural policy has been rewritten like never before Guy Smith there, Deputy President of the NFU, and I'm sure that won't be the last we'll hear from him before a new Prime Minister arrives. Now, that was my visit to the Suffolk Show on Wednesday. Uh, The week before, I took a trip further south to the Isle of Wight. It was a holiday, uh, but while there, I couldn't resist visiting the garlic farm. You know, normally uh, you return from holiday with sticks of rock. I've brought back an interview. Uh, The Isle is one of the world's biggest suppliers of garlic, and, as we'll hear a little later, it's also home to the biggest range of garlic anywhere in Europe. First, though, where does the history of garlic on the Isle of Wight originate? Well, in part, it's thanks to the war. Colin Boswell of the Garlic Farm told me more. During the war, before I was born and involved in garlic, there was about 300 French sailors stranded on the island with their torpedo boats, torpier, uh, and a, a couple of destroyers at Cowes. They lived there, and uh, they used to go to a pub, the Painter's Arms in Cowes. Um, it was the roughest pub in Cowes in 1942. The publican there, Bill Spidey, looked after these sailors who said, this British food that you're feeding us, you can't expect us to fight with that sort of thing. We need garlic. And he looked all over the Isle of Wight, couldn't find any garlic, but he had some mates in the RAF seconded to the Special Operations Executive, the SOE, and October the 27th, 1942, a plane took off from RAF Tangmere, flew to southwest France, landed, was on the ground for five minutes. We have all the documents. Uh, they were top secret at the time, but released... Uh, not too long ago, and uh, some packages and two agents 
got off and two sacks of garlic were put on. They came back to Tangmere and we actually know this because we've recorded one of the girls in the control tower uh, actually told us she's a friend of ours here on the Isle of Wight she remembered a pilot walking in with a strong smelling sack and for 70 years until we caught up with her she'd always wondered what was in that sack because she wasn't used to garlic uh, anyway that uh, that sacks of garlic got back to Bill Spidey at the painter's arms and he started to grow garlic extraordinarily just next to us on an adjoining farm here and it wasn't until six years ago that I actually tied all the ends together and found that we were growing garlic. We started growing garlic, my mother started growing garlic here in the 60s, 70s, and we knew nothing about the wartime inheritance of Bill Spidey growing in the farm next door for the free French who were in cows. That's Colin Boswell at the Garlic Farm on the Isle of Wight. More on garlic farming itself from Colin later in the programme. First, let's get the update from Open Field. Kit Dickinson has the latest. Morning, Sean. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Uh, as good as the weather, almost. Good, yes. Well, we've had some <laughs> had some very good weather in the recent weeks, but uh, could do with a little more rain, I think. Always, yes, definitely. Right, what's happening uh, with uh, the grain markets? Well, since I was last on the radio, the new crop wheat value has risen from the lows of £141 up to the highs on Wednesday this week of £157, which is a £16 rise and this is down to continued weather problems in America. During the past month, central US has been the victim of two powerful storm systems, which has brought heavy rain, snow and blizzard-strength winds. These storms hit on the 13th of March and the 10th of April, and were so intense they reached the criteria to be identified as bomb cyclones. There is a large area of land from the northern Colorado, eastern lower and north of Lake Superior, which has been inundated with precipitation, that totaled two to four times the average amount of rainfall for that time of year. This heavy moisture from rain and snow falling on already saturated ground from heavy rain last fall has caused extensive flooding, highway closures and destruction of livestock and stored grain. Now farmers, agronomists and meteorologists are focused on what effect that will have on these fields and crops. Oilseed rape. Wet weather in the US again has been impacting soya drilling, which is having a positive knock-on effect on the Matif market. Weaker currency due to Brexit unknowns and a lack of sellers on new crop again, down to uncertainty, is adding support both to old crop and new crop. Barley, there is limited demand on barley for old crop, which is reflected in a low price. However, more support and a more positive outlook for new crop reaching to a price of £130 or more pre-Christmas. Beans remain quiet on old crop, little trading activity, mostly clearing out stores with part loads to go. New crop values are currently given attractive premium over feed for any human consumption parcels you may have. But there is little compounder interest at this stage and new crop prices are again supported by export sales. Generally the crops look well but as we've said more rain is desired which is the same for all crops. Moving on to prices this week. June price £150 x the farm. Harvest 146 to 148, November 150 to 152, February 153 to 154, and May 20, 156 to 158. Milling premiums on old crop are currently 18 to 20 pounds, and on new crop, 
16 to 18 pounds. Oilseed rate for June is 305 to 307. For harvest, 305 to 309. November, 311 to 313. And a very good price for May 20 could be achievable at 319. Barley for June, 123 to 125. Again, as I said, most homes have cover now. Harvest, 126 to 130. November, 131 to 133. Limited prices post-Christmas at this point. And beans, market really opening November time onwards at 190 to 195x the farm. And May 20, 200 to 205x. Fabulous. Thanks for that. Uh, Kit Dickinson at Open Field. Earlier, we heard from Guy Smith at the NFU discussing Theresa May's uh, resignation and the battle to succeed her. What does our uh, agronomist Sean Sparling make of a possible Prime Minister go? Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning, Sean. Uh, yeah, I, all I would add to that from Guy, and Guy and I go back a long way. We, we've done several after-dinner speeches together over the years, the, the longest ago of which is way too long ago for me to even contemplate. But all I would add to that is, of the list of candidates who are standing for leadership of the Conservative party and it's probably quicker to list the ones who haven't thrown the hats into the ring because i don't think i've ever seen so many candidates for the leadership um surely the one they want to pick is the one who's capable of leadership which is what's lacking at the moment out there in all aspects of politics they need the one with integrity and honesty someone with a word you can trust somebody who doesn't change their allegiance overnight to suit their own political ambition Somebody who doesn't change their narrative overnight just to suit their own political ambition. Somebody who has improved every department they've been involved with rather than left it in a worse state and an almost confused state that's never been able to be rectified since they left. Somebody like that. I'm not going to rule anybody in or rule anybody out. It's not my job to do that because I've always felt that it's probably 99% of them down there that give the rest a bad name. Anyway, let's move on to something I do know a little about, and that's agronomy. We'll start with winter wheat, looking very, very good out there. Disease level's very low. There is some septoria in the bottom, as we said before. And on some of the wolds and some of the stonier soils, they are starting to struggle. They were packing up from the bottom coming up. But the potential is still out there. We need a drop of rain to keep filling these ears. We need sunshine and rain from now on. That's all we need. We don't need anything more than that. We've done our job. We've given them nitrogen we've kept them clean we put the fungicides on it's now up to mother nature to help us out although as the ear starts to emerge and it is doing now quite widely in winter wheat even when it was drilled relatively late you can find the ear and the boot starting to split as the ear emerges they're under threat from orange wheat blossomage remember there's nothing really you can do about them we have nothing chemically which is reliable enough to do that if you remember back to last week, I said they would need a pickaxe to break out of the soil. Well, we've had 15, 20 mils of rain quite widely across the county since then. And that is now soft enough for these uh, adult midges to emerge from the soil. It's certainly warm enough. We've got certainly temperature and it's been plenty windy enough for them to fly. But as the, t- the temperatures increase, the, the soils get wetter to a depth, they'll start to emerge. It takes between five and ten days for them to find a mate and then that mate to start laying the Now, in five to ten days' time, if they emerge today, these crops will largely be pretty much out in ear and they're beyond the risk period because it's only really through ear emergence that we're seeing an issue and when we need to react. What you want to do is go out in the evening, half nine, ten o'clock, at dusk on a still evening, a warm still evening, and look across your fields. And if you can see what looks like bonfire smoke 
drifting across the field. The chances are that could well be orange wheat blossom midge in a cloud. The only way you're going to control them is to physically spray that cloud. There's no point putting insects on on a, on a field just because it might help if they come in. You'll do far more harm than good. As I'm walking my fields, they are full of spiders, spiders webs, ladybirds, hoverflies, lacewing, absolutely heaving with life these fields are. All of those or many of those are helping us out with a lot of these little pests. Spiders in particular trap an awful lot of orange wheat blossom midge in their webs and deal with them that way. And remember, a lot of those bigger orange midge that you find won't be orange blossom midge. They will be saddle gall midge, which emerge about 14 days sooner than orange wheat blossom midge. So know what you're looking at apart from anything else. Know what your target is. Know thine enemy, I believe is what they say. And having walked all my wheats this week and seen hundreds of spider's webs, I have yet to see an orange wheat blossom midge adult in a spider's web. So that's good. And I think we need to look long term we need to think about varieties growing varieties which have blossom midge resistance built in because we really are losing the battle in terms of how many products we have available to deal with any issues we may get so traits and varietal traits will become the norm and the only way we can deal with a lot of these things going forward so we need to support the plant breeders um winter barley pretty much out in here now pretty much largely done very little disease little bit of rinko here and there because of that wet but very little other than that spring wheat spring barley romping through the growth stage T2 going on spring barley now. Just think about if you're putting something like Cerrone as a growth reg on spring barley. If the orms are pricking out, you're still safe. But if you see the first spikelet of the ear, you're too late. You don't want to be putting things like Cerrone and Turpal and those sorts of things on a wet leaf, on a dry soil, on anything under stress from nutrient or pest attack. So speak to your agronomist, make sure the benefit will outweigh the risk. Sugar beet, peas, beans, linseed, romping away now actually out in the field. Peas and beans starting to flower brooked beetle now becomes a threat in spring beans as the first pods begin to set so if you have to put an insecticide on and watch the brooked cast on have a look on the syngenta brooked cast look at that follow that you'll see two consecutive 20 degree days means they will start to migrate get your sticky traps in the field look at it monitor it yourself if you have to put an insecticide on peas or beans or anything else put it on after the bees and the beneficials have gone to bed. So very, very late evening, even after dark, makes far more sense because you'll then protect them by not directly hitting them. And because these insecticides are not residual, they won't pick them up when they wake up the next morning. So all in all out there, it's quite interesting. We are seeing more bugs and grubs. I haven't seen any aphids in sugar beet, as I said. Fascinating little creatures, though. Just as an aside, they, are, they indulge in a thing called parthenogenesis, where they give birth to live female young, each of which has too young already in it they're like russian dolls they live for between seven and 40 days and after eight days each one will give birth to live young so the population can explode very very quickly out there in the field and they give birth to wingless aphid these wingless nymphs once the food starts to run out, they start giving birth to winged aphids so they can fly off and find themselves a new food source. Absolutely fascinating world that we live in. So don't spray unless you have to. Don't put an insecticide on if there's anything else of beneficial, which is for foraging. Rule of thumb, if you're going to put an insecticide on, do it after dark. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Right, back to my holiday on the Isle of Wight and a visit to the garlic farm. Colin Boswell gave us some of the history earlier. But what about the farm itself? It's certainly a popular tourist attraction. You can see we're nestling in a, a coombe uh, uh, south of the chalk downs that run from east to west across the Isle of Wight. Uh, so they're about uh, 400 feet. Uh, we're down to about 150 feet here. 
the springs bubbling up below the chalk, the springs coming up here. So people have lived here for at least 6,000 years. And we find, I, if I hadn't been a farmer, I'd have been an archaeologist, I like to think. <laughs> and uh, we find the remains and artifacts of all the previous inhabitants. And we're just the most recent carers, custodians, guardians of this place. And uh, we're currently sharing it with about 250 other thousand other people every year, mm. which helps to contribute to keeping it in a certain way. And is, is it the, the location, is it the climate that's, that's perfect for garlic? Or? There's no doubt the garlic grows well here. The, the light intensity here, that's why there's um, 100 acres of tomatoes under glass here. Uh, the light intensity here, you've got to go down to Bordeaux until you get the combination of temperature and light. Mm. So that's what makes the Isle of Wight a good growing area. Uh, Lincolnshire farmers might be interested. The uh, potatoes, crisping potatoes, will reach their uh, solid content, dry matter content, two weeks earlier than potatoes grown in the Chichester Plain, two to three weeks earlier. And potato grown in the Chichester Plain, actually, as the crow flies, is only 20 miles. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that makes, that makes obviously, a, a big difference. Uh, wheat grown on the Isle of Wight, we get quality hard wheat off the island uh, consistently. And mm. um, we've got our own boat facility here on the island, so it's straight into a boat, and we're not, it's as cheap as anywhere to export from. And, and, and garlic, what made you go for garlic here? My father came here in the 50s, a mother, and uh, they started farming here. And in the early 60s, they started growing sweet corn, uh, started selling that to supermarkets. Um, I uh, went to, I was working in London uh, in marketing. Um, my wife worked in the city. We decided to get married and come back to the island in 1976. And we said, well, what shall we grow? And my mother was growing garlic in the kitchen garden, quite successfully. And uh, we said, well, let's give that a go. And 1979, we started supplying Tesco, and it grew from there. Mm. It's one of the biggest supplies in the world now, isn't it? Uh, from the island. Well, from, from a UK perspective, mm. it's, um, we, we have... Uh, it's, it's gone through various metamorphoses, but uh, we're not so large in quantity now, but we are nobody else in Europe or even in the United States. You'll be very pressed to find the range of garlic types that we grow here. My daughter runs the business now. She's run it for four years, very successfully. Um, we're expanding quite fast. And uh, she sends me off as a consultant. So I've just come back. I've just had, uh, two weeks ago, I had a, a week taking American uh, garlic growers around the Ukraine, which I know well. We've done, I've been in Kazakhstan, Georgia, Russia, South Africa, every, every, everywhere that's really involved in garlic. Uh, I do quite a lot of work in California. 
wherever my daughter exports me. And, and obviously, we're, we're using the, you know, when we go shopping, seeing the garlic cloves. But, I mean, some of the, the size of the bulbs that you've grown here have been, well, I mean, how, how big? Well, that's elephant garlic. So yep. we specialise in elephant garlic. Uh, elephant garlic, uh, as its name suggests, it's big. <laughs> big. It's really a leek. It's, right. uh, it's, okay. it's a leek with garlic tendencies. And uh, it can grow. We, the biggest bulbs we've grown this year will be 60 inches across. Mm-hmm. 120, 150 mil, which is a big garlic. It's, it's well over half a kilo mm. of, of garlic in, in one bulb. Uh, and that, people like that. In the States, they like it because it's large and doesn't taste very much. Uh, <laughs> here, I think we're probably going the same way. It's not intensely garlicky, but it's sufficiently garlicky to, if you roast it, it tastes yeah, like a roast taste. garlic. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's fun. Uh, and we're doing quite a lot, a lot of that. We've also got a complete range of garlic types from all over the world, particularly the more difficult places to source in Kazakhstan, eastern Turkey on the Syrian border. Places Garlic tends to grow where political life's a bit hot. And uh, just for some, re- <laughs> some reason, <laughs> the garlic crescent which is the allium species. The garlic crescent runs from virtually from Mongolia through to Turkey. That is where garlic originated. The original... And I've been searching for the mother of all garlic, the original garlic, the garlic that is originally called allium longicuspis, uh, and we've found it on the mountainsides of... in Kazakhstan, in the Tian Shan Mountains... At about uh, 2,000 feet. Fantastic. Took some finding, I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, I like riding horses, so uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was fun. And uh, it, it's great, gives us great pictures, gives us an ability to have done something which there's plenty of botanists which can tell you exactly that, but they haven't been there mm-hmm. and they haven't done it. Now, back on the aisle, you're harvesting at the moment. What, yeah. what kind of year is it been? So for you? it looks very good this year. Um, we're obviously lacking water, but fortunately we've got irrigation. Uh, the elephant, we're just harvesting the scapes, so that's the flowering point of the elephant. We snap it off and it makes the bulb grow bigger, and it's wonderful in stir fries and uh, quiches and, and dishes, dishes like that. Fantastic. So it looks like it should be a good harvest despite the dry conditions we've been having. Yeah, yeah I, I would. It's looking healthy. It's looking good. And uh, just please give us a bit more rain. <laughs> I think every farmer wants that at the moment. It's yeah. a little bit more. We've just up here, we've actually opened a well, okay. uh, which was built about 150 years ago. It's been closed for 100 years. And uh, we're pumping out of it now onto the crops just around here. And uh, results seem to be good. Yeah. Good. Well, there's lots of people here, and anyone listening, if you come to the Isle of Wight, do do come to the Isle of Wight, but make sure you come to the garlic farm as well, because it's a good good attraction, isn't it? You've got garlic ice cream as well as obviously garlic, all no, manner of garlic products. Obviously, here. I mean it's a it's a classic sort of farm farm yeah. diversion, and, and so we've got the the shop. We've got a range of about 70, 80 garlic lines now, 
Um, well, they were all made and created on the farm, but and now the business has grown, and they're made in various factories uh, on the on the mainland. But it's uh, it is the garlic farm who owns those products and, and, and creates them here. Uh, we still do uh, quite a few products here, uh, and we're available all over the UK. You know, it's highly likely if you've garlic in the kitchen right now, it has come from the garlic farm. That's uh, Colin Boswell on the Isle of Wight. Find out more by visiting thegarlicfarm.co.uk. Thegarlicfarm.co.uk. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Yes, on to the uh, weather for the week then, and it's going to be a bit more unsettled and turning fresher thanks to low pressure heading our way, bringing uh, a few showers in the week to come. Uh, today, we're looking at highs of 22, that wind from the south-southeast gusting around 25 miles an hour. By tomorrow, those temperatures will be more in their late teens, which is where they'll stay for much of the week, with overnight lows nearer 8 or 9 Celsius. As I say, rather unsettled showers, but still some good sunny spells mixed in there as well over the next few days. And the wind through the week, mostly from the south, uh, staying around 15 to 20 miles an hour. Next week, it's Open Farm Sunday. Farms across the country opening their gates, showing what the industry is really all about. You can find more information and a full list of farms taking part by visiting farmsunday.org. Nice and easy, farmsunday.org. And we'll have much more on Open Farm Sunday itself on next week's programme. Take care.